Web3 with me is a discussion style podcast about the ins and outs of Web 3.0, hosted by Zach French, known as Off Edge in the verse. From crypto to NFTs, DAOs to DeFi, we cover the abstract philosophical promises and the new business models enabled in this new decentralized world. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or watch the show on YouTube. Thanks and enjoy. Zach French is a bar certified attorney and nothing expressed by Zach during Web3 with me shall be considered legal advice. All the opinions expressed by Zach and his guests are solely their own opinions. All content in Web3 with me is for informational purposes only. Zach and his podcast guests may maintain hey everyone. in the security Thanks so much for being listeners Web3 of Web3 with me. I want to take a few seconds to tell you about my exciting new B2B offering. It is the mission here to educate. I sincerely believe Web3 can make the world better for more people. Businesses shouldn't be left out, though, so I've launched The Web3 Coach. It's a bespoke education experience designed to help your team understand how Web3 affects your particular industry or company and identify opportunities unique to Web3. Whether you have a law or accounting firm with a growing number of clients participating in Web3 through crypto and NFTs, or you're a real estate syndicate looking for different ways to raise money, or teams just of fast-growing Web3 companies who want to understand your customers and your new teammates, I make sure you can talk the talk and leave feeling more confident about this crazy new world. Please take a minute to check out my website at theweb3coach.xyz. Thanks so much and enjoy the show. My guest today is Omar Abdallah, known as the Web3 Lawyer in the Verse. Omar comes from an entrepreneurial family. From his teenage years, he was exploring arbitrage opportunities between Amazon and eBay and doing social media marketing before the social media marketing platforms did it themselves. Currently, Omar is a lawyer at the Rose Law Group. The Rose Law Group was the first law firm to accept Bitcoin in 2012 and facilitated the first ever marriage in the metaverse. In many ways, Omar is now an entrepreneur at law and is currently building out a fully integrated Web3 practice for Rose Law Group with a full-time Metaverse architect and blockchain developer. We hope you enjoy this episode. LFG, baby. Let's start by it. Welcome to the show, Omar. Hey, Zach. How, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. It's been a, a long time coming. We've had a lot of great conversations, so glad to, to click record on one of them. Yeah, you're right. I'm uh, really excited to be here. We've had a lot of really good conversations. A lot, it's been a lot of fun, and so I'm looking forward to uh, doing this podcast with you, of course. Cool, man. Well, um, the way I always like to start it with my guests is to kind of hear their founding story, kind of what makes them who they are. This doesn't necessarily have to be Web3 focused. Um, in fact, I prefer it not to be. I want to hear just a little bit about the experiences, the formative experiences you've had in your life and stuff like that. Okay, great. Well, the good thing is there is a lot more to me than just Web3, although that that tends to be uh, what I'm like, you know, super into these days. Um, but I grew up in Michigan, born and raised. Uh, my father uh, was a real estate developer, so I grew up around uh, real estate a lot. And, you know, being as uh, growing up in a Middle Eastern family, um, a lot of the, the stereotype, I guess, or growing around in our Middle Eastern American culture here in America is that, you know, we're, we're going to take one of three routes um, when it comes to our career. We're either going to become a doctor, we're either going to become an engineer, or we're going to become a lawyer. 
And Sounds so I've, a lot like the Jewish culture, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I know a lot of like just immigrant cultures, you know, yeah. in general are like that. And so, you know, and I went through each of those three different uh, career paths. Um, you know, so in, in Michigan, I went to uh, elementary and middle school there. And then ultimately we moved to Arizona, which is where I live now. But, you know, growing up initially, I thought I was going to uh, become an engineer like my dad, who's a civil engineer by education, and then he started his development company. And so I thought I would follow up, follow in his footsteps uh, and do that. And then in 2006, 2007, when the economy turned, um, you know, business all of a sudden wasn't any good. You know, people weren't buying um, the houses he was building. He also had some commercial developments. And so things were difficult. And so all of a sudden I was like, okay, maybe following in those footsteps isn't for me. Um, and I need to switch into the next thing. So, you know, from there I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to become a doctor because that's my uh, next best choice. Um, and so we moved to uh, Arizona. My dad uh, got a job. Uh, in Arizona for a development company. Economy was still no good. And within a year, he lost that job. Uh, they laid him off. I think they dissolved the entire company. Um, and so, I mean, that kind of solidified, you know, what I was thinking, that I would not be going into um, engineering and that I'd become a doctor. Um, and then, you know, over time, as I go through uh, high school, I realize I really did not like chemistry, did not like biology. Um, so taking the doctor route was probably not for me. And so my last option was to become a lawyer. <laughs> and so I kind of fell into it. Um, didn't really know too much about the law, what it was, what it would be like to practice law. But I'd figured... Uh, you know, I'd be interested in it. And um, so, you know, went to ASU for college uh, where I studied uh, real estate and finance. Um, so even though, you know, even though I um, uh, knew I wasn't going to pursue the engineering route, I still did have an interest in real estate. And so um, I knew that, you know, when I would ultimately go to law school, if I were to practice in any kind of law, that it would be real estate law. And so that's how I found my way into uh, Rose Law Group, which really helps facilitate um, uh, me and help me grow and, you know, also helped bring me <clears throat> into this Web3 space. Oh, that's great, man. Thanks for sharing that. That's, that's interesting. I mean, there is just a lot of parallels between, you know, my culture growing up in like a Jewish, like everybody's a doctor, lawyer, accountant. It's really funny. It's like a joke, right? Like, but what it, what it really is, is, is kind of what you were hitting on, which is that a lot of people that have immigrated here, which is pretty much everyone, but some more recent than others, um, they value education and they understand that uh, there's a level of certainty of success, maybe um, uh, that you get if you educate yourself. Uh, in fact, I was speaking to a, a family friend the other day who's also a lawyer. Uh, they're Greek and the, the, and his dad is first generation American. And what he told his kids as soon as they graduated high school was pick your route, but go get a professional degree, whether it's an MBA, a JD, an MD, something along those lines. And, you know, it, it really means a lot. And I think 
I mean, in my rebellious early years, I was like, whatever. But then all of a sudden I'm in law school. So, you know, <laughs> it, 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 you're totally right. And, you know, the thing with uh, pursuing a professional degree is that you're not necessarily tied to it. You know, you can always do other things. And that's the beauty of America. And so, you know, even though I grew up um, knowing that I was going to take one of those three routes, I was still like, you know, because I guess because of my father, because of his work ethic, I kind of picked up on his entrepreneurial spirits. And so, you know, in, in seeing like one of the most important things that I think I learned um, from the, uh, the the economy crashing and him losing his business and then losing his job is how important it is to uh, to know how to depend on yourself and to like make something of yourself. Um, and so through high school, I don't know if you ever heard of the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh, it was a formative book in my early yeah. years. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I went to some of the classes, which I cannot say had the same impact as the book. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then you fall into the whole uh, the educational business that you have there. But, you know, the book is really great and it, and it yeah. changes your perspective. And so I read that and. Um, you know, even though I didn't become a real estate like entrepreneur in high school when I read it, it did give me like that entrepreneurial spirit. It changed my perspective on things. And so, you know, in high school and into college, I started like random little e-commerce businesses. And so, you know, to give you an example, um, in high school, I... I would flip Pokemon games, so Pokemon cartridges that I would buy on Amazon and sell on eBay. And I would just buy them on Amazon, sell them on eBay. It was like there was an, an art arbitrage opportunity there. Yeah, it's a nice arb. <laughs> um, that was one of them. And then, you know, I did that for a long time. It did really well for me. And um, if you bought a Pokemon game off of eBay between 2010 and 2014, you probably bought it from me because I was selling <laughs> thousands of them. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Wait, what what uh system was that on? This is Game Boy Color. Game Boy Color. Nice. Game nice. Boy Color. I, own a, I actually own a few NFTs from uh an artist uh that that has his his art is some of it is the Pokemon cartridges, the red one, the yellow one, the really one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I still have mine. <laughs> That's awesome. So you kept I kept a few, I imagine, in the box if you're Right. Uh, yeah, I have. Uh, it's funny. Oh. I have it right next to me. I'll grab it. Yeah, let me see. So, um, this right here is a brand new sealed Pokemon Yellow from 1998. Wow! And it could be yours for the small price of. No, I'm yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if you look them up on eBay, they're pretty expensive. I bought oh, it for. Oh, I imagine they're collectibles. I it. Yeah, I bought the. I bought it like 12 years ago. So yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, and so from you know from there, I uh, and I mentioned this because it, I think it kind of it kind of like forms uh, you know or helps describe like how I feel about Web three and like what I'm doing in Web three today. Um, but you know, while like in high school and in college, we used to go. Well, actually, growing up since I was a kid, we would go to Syria every year uh, for a month or two, which is where my parents were born. And just over the summer. And so we would spend the summer there. And so here in the U.S., I was flipping these different things on eBay and, and Amazon. So I was selling them online and shipping them myself. 
But when I would be overseas for two two months, you know, I was like, okay, well, I can't do that from here. I can't be sh- shipping any items. So how can I still make money while I'm in Syria? And so, you know, I got online and, you know, as you know, like, especially nowadays, if you have an internet connection, you can do something like you can make something productive. Like right now we are having an interview where we're in totally different locations, right? A podcast interview. And just, just for the audience here, we've never met in person. (laughs) Yeah. We have a whole relationship that is the foundation (laughs) for this conversation that uh, has never taken place in the same physical space. But yeah. Anyways, so you're in Syria, you're trying to figure out what is it that I can do while in Syria in order uh-huh. to continue some sort of cash flows? Because yeah. the entrepreneur that is Omar needs this stuff to keep coming. So what is it? It's not that I needed it. It's just that, yeah. I mean, I was a teenager. Like I was dependent on my parents. It's just yeah. that I liked knowing that I could do it. And so um, I got into social media marketing. And this is before, so this is in the early days of Facebook. This is before Facebook was doing any kind of marketing themselves. Like they weren't selling advertising space. They were still in their growth mode. Wow. And so what I would do is I would grow different Facebook pages, you know, where you like the page, it has 10,000 members or whatever. And I would sell advertising space on those pages that I grew. So I would find businesses that wanted to promote their website. I would, you know, make a listing on eBay, like pay me 15 bucks and I'll post your link on my page. You know, I'll share it with my following. So I did that for a while and, uh, and it was good. Like I was helping people get likes and then eventually Facebook, uh, caught on and they shut me down. That's how I got banned from Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) I've never had someone banned from Facebook on here. Uh, this is, this is a first. Yeah, it was, um, it was interesting. I mean, I happened to be on Facebook working. And then all of a sudden it logged me out. I couldn't log back in. Reached like, out. Wait, that's our revenue stream. <laughs> yeah. Like that's what we're going to do soon. And so, and they did it well. <laughs> yeah. But you were ahead of your time. I mean, I think I'm glad you told that extra bit of, of information because it does make a lot of sense from, from, from my interactions with you, you, you've kept the entrepreneurial spirit within the Rose law group. Um, in forming this new Web3 practice there. Um, so just pivoting a little bit towards that, you know, what what was it uh, at Rose Law Group that led you to this kind of inflection point that you wanted to start to build this out? And then once you had the idea, what did you have to do to convince everyone there that it was a good idea? So um, the good thing that it, the good thing is that it was not very difficult to convince uh, the firm. Um, I'll start first with how I got introduced into uh, the Web3 space or the crypto space. Um, but in 2017, late 2017, I was in law school still. And um, I'm sure you've heard of Wall Street Bets. You know, it's a, it's a Reddit uh, page, very popular. And back then it was somewhat popular. Someone had introduced me to it and I had just been you know, on the on Wall Street bets at the barbershop waiting for my appointment. And I came across a post about Bitcoin. And so that was my first exposure to what Bitcoin and cryptocurrency was. And I read up on it, but I didn't really do too much with that new information. I just watched Bitcoin when it was below a thousand dollars. And you know, over the next few months, I watched it go up to twenty thousand dollars. 
Um, I did buy some like cryptocurrencies just to play around, but you know, I didn't, I didn't truly comprehend um, what I was, what I was seeing. Um, and so as, you know, as Bitcoin had reached like 20,000, the $20,000 price, um, I started to learn more about what blockchain was, what the underlying technology was. And I started going to different like blockchain meetups in uh, Phoenix. And, you know, I had some conversations with people. I brought it up to some of the partners at my firm. That was back when I was still a law clerk. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Proppy. Well, yeah, you have heard of Proppy. We've talked about it. Um, But Proppy did a presentation once in Phoenix. And so I brought that up to some of the partners at my firm. And they were like, yeah, that's really interesting. Like, you know, as you know, we we always want to be on the cutting edge of whatever it is that we're doing. And so, you know, if you see an opportunity in the blockchain space from a legal perspective, like, let's do it. So that could have been my inflection point in 2018. Um, but unfortunately, I didn't do much with it. You know, 2018, I was graduating, took the bar exam, traveled, you know, internationally after the bar exam, started working, life came around, you know, got busy. And then it wasn't until last year when NFTs and metaverse um, got really popular that I got really interested in, in, in all of this again. And I think what's different about this space now than 2017, 2018, is it's not just about cryptocurrency anymore. And so now we're seeing real use cases and real applications being built on the blockchain. And so the NFTs, you know, as you know, are, is an application that comes out of blockchain technology. It's made possible by blockchain technology. Same with metaverse, you know, especially the blockchain-based metaverses. So like Decentraland and Sandbox. And so those are applications that are made possible by the blockchain technology. And that is what I think is really interesting because, you know, what can you do with this technology that is more than just creating coins that people can speculate on? And so, um, you know, I was I was thinking about it and, you know, you could only you can imagine how many like potential new businesses could uh, could sprout because of this new technology and you know, these are businesses that will need legal services. I mean, they need help, just like they need, you know, uh, accounting services. Uh, I mean, every kind of service you can imagine is needed for these new Web3 based startups. And so I was starting to formulate a plan to pitch to the partners at my firm um, for us to break into the space. And then all of a sudden, one day, my boss, uh, Jordan Rose, sends out an email to the entire firm saying, who knows anything about NFTs? <laughs> and I was like, this is my moment. <laughs> <laughs> so it was perfect timing. It really was perfect timing. I mean, I knew I wanted to, like I was really interested in the space. I wanted to do something here. And so I emailed her back and we met. And um, I mean, it's been a year and, you know, we've been uh really busy in the space doing a lot of uh, really cool things. Um, what's great about Rose Law Group is um, it's a very entrepreneurial and innovative law firm. We um, accepted, we were the first law firm to accept Bitcoin in 2012. We're um, heavily in the uh, cannabis space, you know, with changing uh, laws and recreational and whatnot. And so, you know, we're very 
um, innovative and wanting to be on the on the cutting edge because it's exciting and um, we're very prepared to uh, invest in it and find uh, the best team members from around the world to um, to serve our clients and and to do to do good work for them and so it was very it was very easy to get it started and so if you want I can get into like what we like what we we've done to break into this into this space yeah let's let's get to that in in, in a second one thing I do want to ask you since I, I loved your approach by the way you you gained familiarity through the mainstream if you will as mainstream as Wall Street bets was in 2017 yeah. um, and then you dabbled in it to have a little bit of skin in the game. Um, and then you're like, well, I'm not sure about this thing. Let me start meeting real people that are involved. And so you go start going to these meetups and all of that. And all the while you're at a law firm that possesses all the characteristics of an entrepreneur, which kind of aligns with, with you. And then there's this serendipitous moment where, where things happen, which is, which is, you know, I think one of the, one of the, best values that my father-in-law has always said to me, or I guess, uh, I don't know if it's an anecdote or a value is, you know, um, luck is when opportunity meets, um, what was it? Oh, preparation. Right. And that's all this kind of sounds like it's been culminating for a little while and you've kind of created your own luck, right? You studied all the things you're willing to go and meet these people. A lot of people, myself included, I, bought, I did almost everything you did, but I stopped right after I did a small investment and it crashed from 2017 to 2021, really early 2021. I didn't have really any, any involvement. I read about it out of pure interest, but to take that extra step and to go meet people in the space that can transform how you think about it. And you're you can tell how well you understand it because you are describing it in such simple terms. You're saying there is a blockchain and on that blockchain, there are applications. Everybody knows what an application is thanks to the app store commercials. And those applications happen to be NFTs or cryptocurrency. Um, and then we can get into more of the details, but like that is such an eloquent explanation rather than I think a lot of times, even myself, I'm like layer ones and they're like, Hell layer one. One. <laughs> it's blockchain it's blockchain okay yeah that's i mean one of the biggest issues in the space still is is the educational component i mean there's such a huge learning curve and so you know i am constantly constantly like listening to podcasts watching youtube videos um playing around with you know the different like DeFi and you know, like setting up a wallet, setting up different wallets for different like layer ones. Like it's, it's not easy to get involved. And so there's a lot going on too. Yeah, I mean, eventually we'll have more user-friendly onboarding, you know, experiences, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, learning. And I think all, all of us together, we need to do a better job of, of uh, explaining to people what all this is in much simpler and easier to understand terms. Less technical, really. There's like a, 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 I was reading an article the other week from uh, Harvard Business Review, and they were talking about how there's like, there's a few main barriers to Web3 being this new internet that everybody wants it to be, where, you know, wag me is a real thing. And one of those things is the technical barrier, right? And that's something we've talked about on this show a bunch is like, you got to, not only is it connecting your bank account to Coinbase or another centralized exchange. But if you want to fully participate, if you want to go buy an NFT, if you want to go buy a piece of land in the metaverse, right, you've got to know which marketplaces sell it 
you've also got to know which wallets uh, you need to have because then you're going to have to transfer the cryptocurrency that you buy on these centralized exchanges over to another wallet, right? And then you're also going to go through a whole bridging process. So that has to get simpler. And the way that we describe that has to get a lot simpler, right? But as we get more participants, we hope that it will get to that point. So I, mean, I kind of think I know the answer to my next question that I always ask, but um, the audience may not. Uh, you may have just said it. Who knows? Um, but when you are talking to someone and provide as much context as you want, and they're like, and they are, they're seriously interested in the answer. They're not just asking you to say scam, uh, but they say, hey, Omar, what is Web3? What do you say back to them? What is Web3? Okay. So I think Web3 is all about uh, ownership and freedom. Um, I think the easiest way, and I think a lot of people explain it this way, is by explaining what Web 1 and Web 2 is. Um, and actually, yesterday I heard Web 2.5, but Web 1, yeah. <laughs> Web 1, you know, is like the, the static internet where you're just reading what you see online. Web 2 is where there's some amount of interaction between what you what you're doing and like what the website is doing, like between you and the internet. And so, you know, that's like, that's where we are now mostly, or that's what the, what most people know about the internet, um, social media, Facebook, Instagram, you know, there's some amount of, there's some amount of interaction between you and whatever centralized, you know, entity is on the uh, other side there. And then web three is um, where we're growing into. And what I think is the future um, and Web3 is, is made possible by blockchain technology, and it allows you to, um, instead of just interacting with uh, another entity that owns all of your data, Web3, you do own all of your data. And so uh, in Web3, you know, blockchain technology makes it possible for you to own your content, basically. And so, you know, when you can own your content, when you can own your data, what can you do with that? Like, what more can you create? And so that's why we're seeing so many uh, Web3 startups that are that are coming to life because of this. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it is that level of like autonomy and ownership that has never been possible before. That is also creating a lot of value, a lot of its speculative value that is really created this whole wave of um, just growth in the industry. And I think we're seeing as recently as yesterday, all the news about um, the head of product at OpenSea um, being uh, charged or indicted by the, the FBI for insider trading, but more specifically, uh, wire fraud and money laundering, right? Um, I've, I've dove into it a little bit, but those are the types of things that are going to take this autonomy and ownership and legitimize it in my eyes, right? Um, I'm not a huge fan of the approach personally, but nonetheless, you need this these cases to happen so that the courts can decide how this is going to be regulated and how it's going to administer uh, what little regulatory framework we have now so that we can build a practical one. And you hope that the U.S. embraces it like they did the Internet. Um, should be would be nice, but um, yeah, and there, we're, we're kind of in a blind spot right now. And I completely agree with you. I mean, there's going to be a lot of growing pains, 
you know, what happened yesterday is one of those growing pains and like, you know, people will like discredit and like shun uh, the blockchain because of different scams that they hear about happening in the space. But, you know, those are the kind of things that that happen as as any kind of new space or industry is developing. People don't have a lot of information. Um, they're learning. They're they're growing pains. Um, we do need more regulatory guidance uh, to step in and help, you know, clarify and, and shut these people down. And all of that kind of stuff will will happen over time. And, uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate now. Um, but also why you need a lot of lawyers says two lawyers. Yeah, <laughs> that's why you need us. <laughs> this is not legal advice. Listen to the disclaimer at the beginning. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, I appreciate that. That that is a good way. I mean, it gives the context, you know, going back to your definition of how you describe and how you describe Web3. It gives the context of like. Okay, let me put myself back in the AOL days and early, early days of Amazon, and I'm in Web 1. Um, then I'm going through to the next where there's this stuff called UGC, or user-generated content. Uh, there's blogs that pop up everywhere. You're kind of, you're able to create, but the cr your creations are owned by somebody else, right? Um, now, you can have followers and stuff like that, paid follows and all that, um, but ultimately, your work is owned somewhere else. What this is doing now, Web3, this level of ownership, is it is now allowing everyone to be a creator, whether you're a writer, music artist, visual artist. And you know, one of the big promises, at least for me in this space, is just that, is to see what happens when we unlock the creativity of, of everybody, right? I mean, I'm an amateur you know, artist in my you know, spare time. And I tend to do it typically when I'm a little bit more stressed, but like it's, it's a way for me if I wanted to, to go out and just create something and mint it. Right. And be like, Hey, this is, this is Zach French's work, or this is off edges work. Um, and you know, I want to share it with the world. And if I were to just post it on Facebook, then it gets a few likes and whatever, but you know, maybe somebody finds value in, in my visual interpretation of something. Um, so that's, it's a really cool aspect of it. It's, it's kind of, I mean, web three is kind of like, if you think about web three as a place, you know, it's, and this might kind of sound kind of weird, but you know, America is so great because America is a place for small business. You know, I mean, a lot of people don't know, but the majority of, uh, us American citizens, majority of people here work for small businesses and not, you know, at the, at the huge corporations that you hear about. Most people work in small business and small businesses survive. You know, they grind to survive. They're constantly adapting and innovating and coming up with really cool products and just doing great things to survive. And so Web3, you know, people in Web3 can start or, or are starting all of these different little small businesses in a way. And, you know, an NFT project is like a small business. And so people can own their small businesses in Web3 and create value where value otherwise didn't exist. You know, it's an opportunity to, it's an opportunity for them to actually capitalize on it if they want to. If they don't want to, they can just own it. And it's a place where they can truly own what it is that they're generating. Yeah, it creates almost like a, a small, small business, right? Like an individual, like sole proprietor yeah. can can now 
reach. I mean, I've heard some people speculate a trillion dollar single person company at some point, right? Like that's obviously a very big bull case, but because of this level of ownership, one person whose digital wallet is connected to where it needs to be connected and who does the right things, say creating an NFT collection using their skills on the, on the computer can generate millions of dollars. Um, whereas before you would need a whole production team and you'd be signing off. Most of these artists too, just having spent so much time in this space, most of them, they had one true monetization metric, which was working for a corporation or an agency, right? They went out, an agency that worked for the big corporation, right? Now I see these people, like they first start out and they're like, look what I did for Audi. Look what I did for BMW. Look what I did for this. Look at this cartoon I designed. But now it's look what I designed for me and for my collectors, uh, which is just, I mean, it's, I don't know, makes me warm and fuzzy. Like literally gives, giving exactly me chills it. right now. I mean, there are so many talented people that's that hit a wall. I mean, they hit a wall because you know you have these big you know, companies that are in the way, they're dominating the space and they you know they make it very difficult for people to do anything on their own. And you have to go through them. As they should. I mean, honestly, it's a good business practice. It's not a like a, it, like it doesn't make me excited to to hear that uh, at all. But like you gotta have your moat and you gotta protect the shit yeah. out of it. I mean, right. it makes sense. We understand why they do it. You know, that's yeah. capitalism. Yeah. It's a good business practice for them. Yeah. As an investor, you know, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like that, that's the name of the game. But is there somewhere in between that maybe Web3 creates? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe so. I think one of my big theories since I decided that I was good at ideas uh, <laughs> back in the day was uh, that we'll eventually move to almost entirely project work. And I think this is one of the biggest strides towards that. And what I mean by that is like currently uh, the, the model is to grow a company of people um, because even if you pay those people a little bit more than what you're getting out of them, you have the consistency of having those people there, right? Because the transaction costs of hiring someone and firing someone is very high. But we're getting to the point now where between software and blockchain technology and all these new avenues where you can really use the data of your business to make more meticulous decisions, um, someone can come in and be like, I actually just need a data scientist to visualize this data so that I can use it for A, B, or C. And you don't necessarily have to work there to understand how to do that, right? You have to know how to use the underlying systems. But you know, we're moving more towards like whether it's individuals or just that ability to have that autonomy where you can just go into a and show whatever specific niche of skills you have at a company and still help them out. Yeah. And all of this was happening before Web3, really. Yeah. I mean, yes. or before Web3 came into the limelight. You know, that's why we have freelancers and digital nomads. And all of a sudden you can you can make a living working on Upwork you know, mm -hmm. where you can find your clients on there and just do projects when you feel like it and travel the rest of the time. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I mean, in fact, uh, the, the uh, Fiverr was where I designed my logo, right? And, there, and that person who designed my logo, that is his business, right? Yeah. His business is sitting, he's on a website, he's on this marketplace. And I assume he's not working somewhere else. He could be, but most likely this is a major stream of revenue for him because he's one of the top designers on Fiverr. Um, 
So it's cool. It's cool. Um, I want to pivot a little bit. Um, you started to get into uh, the power of Rose Law Group and how they embrace Web3. Um, and I think you told us a little bit of, about kind of like where you were and then where like, like first mentioning it and then jumping ahead a few years. And now you are kind of building it out. So let's hear exactly what you're doing. Because I mean, personally, for me, I find it so exciting to see a, a law firm that is willing to not only invest in lawyers practicing in this space, but you guys are bringing other people on board too. So tell us a little bit about it. So uh, yeah, a Rose Law Group. So last year, we uh, bought some lands on Decentraland. So that was our first uh, Metaverse lands purchase. And we built out the first full service law firm in the Metaverse for Metaverse-based businesses. Um, so in Arizona, we have a pretty busy real estate practice. Um, and so, you know, we're a law firm. So of course we have real estate transactions, attorneys, uh, land use and zoning attorneys, but we also have project managers, planners, um, community outreach consultants, uh, engineers. And, you know, these are all people that work with the attorneys on the different real estate projects that we do. And so we can take a full construction project and take it and manage it from beginning to end, assisting both on the legal side, but also on the management side. And so you can imagine there are all kinds of uh, synergies and value add opportunities there. You know, I'll work on an access issue for a client. I can quickly get in touch with our traffic engineer and, you know, put together solutions. And so we're doing something very similar with our Web3 practice. Um, so obviously we have uh, the attorneys here in the space and we're a full service uh, business law firm. And so we have, you know, transactional attorneys, business attorneys, family law and whatnot. But we've also uh, been hiring the best of the best in other areas. And so we've hired blockchain developers. We have uh, metaverse architects. We have 3D modelers. And so these are all uh, team members that, that work with the attorneys. And so, you know, when a client comes in, we can advise them as, you know, a lawyer traditionally would, but we can also work on their NFT project. <clears throat> we can help them with the artworks. We can help them with the smart contract, the minting dApp. Um, we can um, build out custom smart contracts, you know, work for some other kind of decentralized application. Um, and, you know, if you don't need any of those services, then we can also audit your smart contracts. We can help you uh, launch a grand opening in the metaverse and do a full custom design for you. And so um, we found that there's a lot of value in, in working together. And I think that's going to be uh, the future of, of legal work. But there's, there's a lot of value in working hand in hand with a blockchain developer, with a metaverse architect, with these people on these projects. And um, it, it, it's been good. I mean, our clients have really appreciated it so far. And so we've been doing that <clears throat> for a year. And we've hired the best of the best. I mean, you know, with the internet, um, these people come from all over the world. We have team members in uh, France, London, uh, Mexico, really here in the U.S., obviously in different states. Um, so all over. Yeah, you've got like, it's a, and you're growing in a Web3 native way, right? Like I'm, yeah. remote work is, is not new to anybody, right. especially post-COVID, but like, 
the one of the the other powers of of Web three is that you can actually maintain legal relationships across boundaries, uh, country boundaries all over the world. Uh, you can have a completely distributed company. Um, now, it doesn't mean you don't have to comply with the laws in those various countries, which right. I think is interesting because. One of the things that like you're you're doing, you're, you're assuming your role as a legal advisor, but then you're also helping develop the business, right? And that is something that you've transferred from one business model in real estate development to Web3 development. And there is a lot of parallels there, right? Um, I'm, I, the, the words are the same. The terms are the same. The architects, the builders, the what have you. And maybe eventually you will need your, I can't remember what you call it, like traffic coordinators. And yeah. yeah, the traffic yeah. engineers, you know, like I sit at red lights all the time and I'm like, why are they not turning? Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, though, it's like um, it's like you, you're building out like this, like full service offering and in my experience, what I've seen is is everything but the lawyers, right? Whereas right now, the lawyers are the, the I guess, at least where you go. You go to the law firm to get the help, right? Is is that like um, is that unique to Rose Law Group? Is that unique to your your founder there? Like, what what is it that created that urge to to just be like? Could, could I guess you could be. Would it be vertically integrated administratively? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. and you know, the the services that we're providing from from the legal front, um, a, a lot of them really aren't new legal services. I mean, they're the kinds. They're the, a lot of them are the same kinds of legal services that other traditional businesses need. You know, business formation, securities research, and whatnot. But the difference is that. Um, the difference is the Web3, like the literacy, like being crypto literate, you know, understanding the language. And that's what has been a game changer. And I think that's what's really needed in the space to work with a lawyer that understands what your business actually is. Otherwise, you can't really, I mean, how can you properly identify potential issues or address their concerns um, and do what they need to do if you don't really understand what the underlying business is. Um, and so, you know, like sure, the attorneys here make an effort to learn about Web3, blockchain technology, NFTs. And we also, you know, are, are involved in the, in the space and that we play around with DeFi and like, you know, we really, really understand it. Um, so we do all of those things. But at the same time, it's helpful to have, you know, a blockchain developer that we can constantly um, communicate with and be in meetings with when we're meeting with clients so that we can, you know, bounce off of each other, have put together really like creative uh, ideas and find interesting solutions and that so we can solve issues on the spot. And so, you know, you'll have myself on the legal side and then our blockchain developer on the technical side. And so we work together and um, can do some really great things, I think. Yeah, that's interesting. I was one, one question keeps popping up in my head as you talk about it, because I'm sure there's a little bit of both. But like, is this now that you have this practice built out, is it something that's helping you grow your current business with your clients? Versus like, what's the ratio to that versus people that are coming to you and saying, I've got a great idea for an NFT project. 
can you do all this for me? <laughs> you know, um, how, how does that work uh, at Rose Law Group? So it's, it's, a growing, it's a growing area for sure. I mean, you know, more and more people are starting to come to us um, needing the services. I think initially we were starting, we were seeing a lot of NFT projects. And nowadays we're seeing a lot of Web3 startups, which mm. is kind of interesting because I think it follows the markets. You know, it, when, when there's a lot of hype, you know, when, when you're in a bull market and there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of money to be made, well, people are launching a lot of NFT projects and a lot of different coins and, you know, you know that kind of stuff. And, you know, obviously they need legal services there. But in a bear market, which I think we're going into now, that's that's what we're here. We're here. That's where people built. Yep. And so, you know, people build in the bear market. And so, you know, I'm kind of a microcosm of that right now. I don't know how you're feeling currently in the space because I know that you do dabble in NFTs and stuff. And yeah, like I, my collecting is, I mean, it's kind of slowed down and I'm just out here trying to educate. I mean, uh-huh. trying, trying just to make to teach people what, what really like why this space should stick around yeah. um, and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's maybe subconsciously, I'm just like, I don't want to deal with that right now. It's not doing so hot, but uh, like for real though, like when you're building, like you don't necessarily, um, you know, participate in the same ways as yeah. before when you're just speculating and collecting, investing, however you want to call it. Yeah. The, I mean, the talent, you know, the talent is still here. There's a lot of talents. Um, there's a lot of, you know, money coming in from, you know, VCs and private equity and whatnot. And, you know, in a, in a time like this, they're not spending their money buying Bitcoin or Ethereum or any altcoins. They're spending their money investing in startups. And, and those startups, you know, we're seeing are DeFi related or metaverse related um, or some kind of, you know, service that'll help with like onboarding uh, people into the space. What about DAOs? Are you seeing a lot of stuff? People trying to form DAOs yeah. and for, for the audience. Uh, the DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization for you know lack of going into all the different ways you can do that. Uh, the simple explanation is it is the entity of Web3, right? It is the... Yeah equivalent now it's you know you may have still register as a regular entity and all of that this is legal advice but it is the this new flatter decentralized organization that uh, is so prevalent so are you are you talking to a lot of people that are forming those like what are some of the some of the stories around DAOs that you're you're hearing yeah we are seeing um a lot of DAOs um and people want to use DAOs for for different things you know some people are wanting to start like investment club DAOs where they want to invest in like crypto or they want to invest in NFTs together. Some people want to start DAOs um, to do some kind of like real world investing. Uh, there's been a lot of interest in using in using DAOs for real estate. Um, there are a lot of questions there when it comes to like securities laws. Um, people, I, I would think people are getting really excited because they see DAOs as a mechanism for raising capital, which maybe it is, but you know, there are definitely legal questions there that need to be reviewed. Um, but a lot of people are wanting to use DAOs because because of the ethos, you know, that that it matches. Uh, they like the decentralization aspects. You know, they like 
there not being a, a hierarchy where all of your members own something together. And so when you bring a lot of you know, highly motivated people together into a DAO where they can work together and they live all over the world and they can trust each other because of, you know, the blockchain. And so, you know, they can use a multi-sig wallet, like, you know, all of these different applications that make it possible for them to trust each other. What can they achieve? And so they feel like they can achieve a lot. And I think they can achieve a lot. Um, so there's definitely a lot of DAOs, a lot of interest in DAOs. And that's one of the things that I think um, still hasn't fully developed. Like we still don't know what the true best use cases for DAOs will be. And uh, it's it's one of the things that's definitely in in experimental mode. But But I think it will be like, it very well could be the type of organization of the future. Yeah, it is. It, and I think you're hitting on something really important, which is that not everything is better as a DAO. Right. Um, but you, we're, you better believe we're going to all try to see what is best. I mean, I think there is, there's a few different classes of DAOs, right? There is the, uh, hey, I had an NFT collection. Now I have a group of people tied to, together through this. So they're a DAO, which is to me like probably the least promising of them, um, unless there is some specific intent with the NFT collection to form the DAO ahead of time, if that makes sense. Um, and then you've got kind of the, how can, because of smart contracts and because of blockchain technology, we can distribute and make, make it trustworthy to have a more diverse set of people make a decision. What's possible because of that? which is the investment clubs um, and stuff like that. Um, and then there's like kind of the, hey, I'm going to just take this old business model and I'm going to see if it's better as a DAO. Um, some of the most interesting ones I've seen there are uh, creative agencies. Um, my first guest on the podcast, he works with one called Vector DAO, and it is essentially a creative agency and they have created a structure where they are running their creative agency uh, with clients coming in and they use these things called seasons to do it. And you get the options to get paid for your work uh, or you can get carry. Right. Um, so it's uh, it's a super interesting idea. And I think um, we will see over the next couple of years uh, what can happen there. And then I, I would be remiss not to, to, to mention city DAO as well. Um, they, they're obviously, a, they're figuring out exactly what they are, but they own the piece of land and they are trying to form a city that is virtual more or less and not in the, Hey, I'm going to build a city in the metaverse type thing, but Hey, what happens when we, we organize people according to a more decentralized format? and then apply the basics of what makes a city. Right. Yeah, and, I, and I like what they're doing. And like, it's, you know, you can tell they they're figuring it out as mm -hmm. they go, you know, as they, they jumped into something, they got started and they're figuring it out. I mean, we have a lot of, a lot of DAOs and I'm sure you've seen that aren't really DAOs. Like they call themselves DAOs, but they're not decentralized. And so they're not really DAOs. And so maybe and they're not autonomous. <laughs> they're not autonomous. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I've been hearing a lot about progressive decentralization recently. Mm -hmm. oh, so I don't know. I don't know if there's um, a good like use, a good like case study of one that has been successful. 
Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, at some point we might see something that that worked out where, you know, they call themselves a DAO, but initially they're very centralized, which mm-hmm. to some extent it does. I mean, it does make sense to start centralized because you do need people to take action. Mm-hmm. And if you have hundreds of the people that in a DAO that's like just started, like how do you take any action if you have hundreds of people? that are all on equal footing, you know? And so it makes sense sometimes to start centralized and maybe progressively decentralized, decentralized into a true DAO. And so how is that done? You know, I don't know, maybe you slowly give up tasks and tokens and then eventually everyone is on the same level playing field with no hierarchy, then you might be truly decentralized. And, you know, that might be a, successful case of progressive decentralization, but I've yet to see that. And I, but I think we will see more of that. Yeah, I think so too. Have you, um, have you ever listened to or read uh, Jesse Walden variant fund? No, I think he's I'm still not. there. I don't, I'm not hundred percent sure he's still there, but when I first was, you know, diving into this, I, I did what I do, what, what you probably do too, is you see, you know, what, where's a good podcast on it, right? Or where's a good book on it? Um, and his, formula at the time, and this was two, three years before the big NFT boom last year, um, was, you know, a a DAO can be a DAO, but it doesn't have to be a DAO from day one, which is what you're saying, right? It could be a startup. And guess what startups need? They need product market fit, right? So have a few people build a startup, find product market fit, and then figure out a path to decentralization, right? That is, that is the, the, I think, responsible way to pursue it. Like you said, there's a bias towards inaction the more people that are involved in a decision. You need a bias towards action to get a business up and running. And so, yeah, it's a, a, and, and then there's a lot of like dealing with like the costs. I know you and I talked about this yesterday where, you know, these people that are starting the DAO are going to be putting in either directly their own money or their time, which is worth money. Because, you know, they are experienced, most of them in the space and everything. So then the DAO can figure out what that was worth down the line, right? That's fair. And that is decentralized, right? That is having the the members of the DAO vote on whether or not the work that was done to create this was worth some sort of compensation, right? Um, And I, I love that idea. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so yeah, well, now we're trying to round out the show a little bit. Um, I'm glad we got to, to hear a lot more about Rose Law Group and I just love what you're doing over there and I'm sure you'll come back on, um, at some point too, and we'll dive in and you'll have totally new use cases, uh, for us to discuss. But, um, you know, I always like to close with, you know, not a, I don't want to call it a prediction, but maybe it is a prediction of the future. Um, so I want to know short and long-term where Omar is going to be. I want to know short and long-term where you think web three will be. And when I say short and long-term, I mean, six to 12 months, short-term five to 10 years. So get as crazy as you want. Um, that award is still up for the craziest answer to what is going to happen to web three, five to 10 (laughs) years from now. Um, and even if it's going to be around, who knows? So yeah, yeah, shoot. Well, I really hope it still will be around because, um, you know, I'm investing heavily in it in terms of my time. Um, but short term, short term, you know, of course, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. You know, we're going to be building um, here in, in 
in the Web3 space. I think the future of uh, Web3, at least from a legal perspective, we'll start to see lawyers and blockchain developers working together. I'll start, I think we'll start to see more uh, advances in how um, smart contract code can be tied with legal contracts. You know, today, um, smart contracts are only technically enforceable in that the code, you know, works a certain way and it should be doing a certain thing, but it, it might not be legally enforceable. And so I think easily within the next five years, we'll start to see um, a merging of real contracts and real law with smart contracts. And that's something that I see myself and Rose Law Group uh, working on and experimenting with in the short to midterm. Uh, long term, I think we will make it out of the bear market that we're currently in. And we'll start to see all of these, all of the Web3 startups that are building during this bear market uh, will have developed some really innovative and um, just crazy new like technologies that are hard for us to envision today. But I would not be surprised if 10 years from now, someone, I don't know who, but some company or some startup will have developed uh, some kind of extremely interactive um, virtual reality metaverse that all of us will want to participate in. And so now, you know, maybe not so much the last couple of years, but a few years ago, everyone was on Facebook. Like pretty much everyone had a Facebook or an Instagram. I would not be surprised if 10 years from now, every one of us was participating in this virtual reality blockchain-based metaverse where you put in, you put on some goggles or you have a room in your house, which is your VR metaverse room, and you enter that room and you're launched into a completely different reality that is blockchain-based. And I think it's important that it's blockchain-based because it allows for ownership. And with ownership, you see investments. And with investment, you see development of different things. And so people will put on either their headset or they'll walk into their VR metaverse room and they will be in a completely different world where they own land, they've built something on that land, they can join meetings with people all around the world hosted in different places, they can meet up together, they can uh, hang out, interact, um, it will be the place that they want to be and it'll basically it would basically be the next iteration of social media. If people want to be on social media today, the same way they will want to be in this place of the future where they will own their content. It makes sense in my head. It might not make sense the way I'm explaining it. That's the beauty of now, it. That is I'm, the beauty of it. With Moore's law, like technology advances at such a rapid rate every year, like with exponential growth, like you really can't picture it. And so 10 years sounds like it might be a short time from now or a long time from now. But, you know, a lot can happen in 10 years. With, I always joke about uh, 10 years is one year in Web3. So yeah. that'd be 100 years into the future here. <laughs> and I, I get that. I, I am excited to see something like that. I, I am genuinely curious 
what's going to drive people to spend more time there and ownership uh, and facilitating socializing uh, in some way. Cause we're already there. It, we're just not there as avatars. When I get into discord, I am in there with all my virtual friends and we're talking about things and we're, you know, discussing, it could be anything from personal to professional. Right. Um, and you know, a lot of it is, is around current events and all of that. And there is a power in collective decision-making. So what happens when all those are paired and there's an interoperability between different metaverses and different objects and different assets that you own? Honestly, as you were talking, and this is probably confirmation bias, so bear with me because we've been talking about property and, um, and Web3, is imagine what property rights created for cities, right, in general and just municipalities and the growth of colonization and everything like that. What is what happens when you create that level of like ownership, which is already there in a digital world? Right. Where where do we go? And it's it's going to be something like that um, for sure. So I, I'm looking forward to experiencing it with people like you that are embracing it. I think it's going to be excellent. Yeah. And I mean, that's exactly what I think will happen. And the metaverse of today, you know, is nothing like what we'll see 10 years from now. You know, if you hop on to Decentraland or Sandbox, like, you know, I admit they're not all that interesting, but the technology is really interesting. Like how you can own a piece of it. Like that's super interesting. And by owning a piece of it, like Decentraland is technically a DAO or they say they're a DAO. Like, so you're becoming a member of the DAO by buying a piece of land. And so, you know, although Decentraland or Sandbox, you know, they don't have something that's that's driving the traffic, like a significant amount of traffic. I think in the future, we'll see something that will drive a, signif a significant amount of traffic. And that's what you need for it to be adopted. Otherwise, it won't be adopted. And so yeah. I think it's coming. I mean, uh, honestly, when you tell me about building a, a law practice in the metaverse and having performed, I don't think we talked about it, but having performed a wedding in the metaverse yeah. and <laughs> hosting webinars in the, in the metaverse, um, like you're bridging the gap between what people would yeah. go to a law firm in IRL <laughs> and what people would go to a law firm in the metaverse. So as those use cases proliferate, right? I'm not saying going to a law firm is exciting, right? <laughs> of course not. But I'm saying it is something that people have to do, right? There's certain yeah. things that that can that you need lawyers for. So as more businesses be, become those things that you need uh, in digital world, then yes, there's going to be an integration of time spent uh, in, this in these virtual worlds versus somewhere else. And I'm super excited personally. I don't know if you pre-ordered it, but you should totally pre-order Matthew Ball's book on the metaverse. Um, I don't know if you've read his articles on it. It's unreal. Oh, so, but I'll make a note of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll drop a link in the show notes too for anybody else that wants to check that out. He, for for context, Matthew Ball is my favorite writer on the metaverse, and I think one of the deepest thinkers in the space, um, and has been talking about it for a long time, and <laughs> um, has a lot of interesting ideas. So cool. Well, I appreciate it, Omar. Um, is there? Uh, I guess one one thing I always like to do at the end of the episode is, you know, how can people get in touch with you? Because um, you have a lot to offer here, and um, I would love for people to know how they can get in touch. Great. Yeah. So I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram. 
uh, on Instagram. You can look me up as the Web3 lawyer. Um, I make educational content there about Web3. Some of it is is legal related stuff and some of it's not. Um, so that's Instagram. And then on Twitter is just my full name, uh, Omar J. Abdallah. Um, so either is is good. And on there, you can find my my email address. But I respond to a lot of DMs on Instagram. So that's probably a good place. The Web3 Lawyer. That's how we met. <laughs> yeah. That, I guess that's a wrap. I appreciate it, Omar. Look forward to uh, chatting again soon. Great. Thanks, Zach. I had a really good time. Thanks for joining Web3 with me. Make sure to follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review as it'll help us reach more people. If you want to connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter at offedge underscore. Thanks for vibing in the verse with me and hope you'll join us next time.